I am hoping that you have a great afternoon. I am. I am. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready for the day. First, be the Chiefs. Following the Chiefs will be the Saints. Mm-hmm. Be glad there's no third game because I promise you that's as far as you want to see, all right? But I, I'm ready. I'm ready. If you like football, it's fun time. Well, for almost everyone. Because you see, in the NFL, at the end of the regular season, begins what is called the coaching carousel. And what that means is, for the teams that didn't do well, they typically fire their coaches. I think there's like seven this year on the coaching carousel. And I think we read about that stuff, but I always think about, men when a head coach goes, typically most of the staff goes, which means a whole bunch of families, kids are relocating and transitioning and just all the stuff that happens. One of those seven this year is a guy by the name of Doug Peterson. Uh, he was, until a few days ago, the, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and some of you will know because you're fans, at one time he was actually the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. Well, true story, I played basketball with a friend who ended up going to college to play football. He was a wide receiver. And the quarterback was Doug Peterson. And just so happens, we all attended the same college, which meant there were moments that, honestly, we all ended up in, for example, a finance class together. And, and I, I can remember, um, I'm sitting here, my friend's sitting here, and Doug's sitting right behind me. And we would have conversations before class and and after class, I mean, it's, it's college, so you're just talking about the normal stuff that, that you would talk about. Now, I want to be really clear here today. Doug would not know me from Adam. I only remember it because now here's what Doug does as an NFL coach. You know what I'm saying? But a couple of years ago, I, I began to have this thought, like, wouldn't it have been cool if God had given me some mad Old Testament prophet skills back in college? Because I could have said to Doug, dude, don't worry about the finance test. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry, man, because in February of 2018, you are going to be Super Bowl champion head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, but in January of 21, they're going to fire you, right? I think coaches and prophets, in a way, have some things in common. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a coach spending only two years in the NFL. Two years. And not by his choice. One of those two years, 
he could not even physically be with his team. And yet, it would be declared that he was the greatest coach in NFL history. You say, I I don't think that could happen. Well, I want you to know that is just a little bit like the man and therefore the story that we're going to read about and learn about today. Look at this statement in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 verse 28 reads this way, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Now, the John that we're talking about here is the guy that we often call John the Baptist, all right? We didn't call him John the Baptist because that was his denomination back in the day. We called him John the Baptist because he baptized. That's what he did. And so he became linked to, right, this, this action that, that in his life. I think John would have been a great coach. I do. First of all, he's tough, right? I mean, any dude that's like eating eating locusts and wild. I mean, he just seems tough to me. It's hard for me to imagine John with a squeaky little voice. I just can't imagine that. I I imagine John with this booming voice, and what we know is that he is a man who is focused. This statement, you want to guess who said it? Jesus. Jesus said it. Now, I want you to get this. John's public ministry only lasted about two years. And not by his choice. For one of those two years, he couldn't even be in public And then, well, I think today the way we would describe it is that his life ended in tragedy. So the question I'm raising is why would, how could Jesus make such a powerful statement about a man whose life is so short? His ministry so short. Well, we are grateful that in the Gospel of Luke, which is what we are studying through in the beginning of this year, Luke actually gives us a summary of John's life. This week, we're in Luke chapter 3, so I want to invite you to turn there. If you got your Bible, you got your phone, whatever it is, I I encourage you to follow along in Luke chapter 3, We're going to get the summary statement that I think helps us understand why Jesus would make such a powerful statement of why John was considered so great. I'm glad you're here. I really am. Um, For those of you who are joining us online, for everyone who may be seated at one of our campuses today, we just really are grateful that you're here. And I'm praying, I'm praying that you will hear what God's word speaks to you today. I want to encourage you to take some notes, write something down. Let's dig in. Luke chapter 3, verse 18 is where we're going to read. It says, and with many other words, 
John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Hmm. And I'm telling you, that is the summary that Luke gives of John's life. Now, here's something we got to understand as, as, we, as we dig into this. Luke is not intending to be chronological here. And, and this is what I mean. At this point in the story, Luke chapter 3, that is not yet the time that Herod locks up Luke in prison. It's not yet time. We know that because in a couple of more verses in Luke chapter 3, it is actually John who is doing the baptism of Jesus, right? But what's happening here is Luke wants to wrap up the story of John. And so it's as though he reaches forward and he says, I'm going to tell you how John's story ends so that in verse, thir- verse 21 of Luke chapter 3, Jesus becomes the primary focus for the rest of the book of Luke. Now, earlier in this chapter, like verse 17, 7 to 17, many of you read it this week, and I want to encourage you to do that. If you're not reading along with us, Read along. We're reading a few verses every day. That is happening. It's about the winter of 26 AD, and it's going to flow into the summer of that same year. John is in the wilderness. He's out by the Jordan River, and he is calling people to repent. To repent means to turn. He's calling them to turn from their sin and and to turn to God. And the scripture paints the picture for us that all of Jerusalem and Judea is showing up to listen to John. And the reason is they are excited that apparently the Messiah has finally arrived. They're tired of the oppression that the Romans have over them. And they want to be delivered. God has always promised that a deliverer is going to come. And so support began to gather from everywhere when they heard that the forerunner of the Messiah, who is John, is on the scene. And so this is the timeline of John's ministry. He ministers about six months. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Then both of those ministries happen simultaneously for about six months, at which point John is put in prison, which we'll talk about. And he stays in prison for about a year. Luke tells us that right now in the story because in effect, when he is put in prison, it really ends his public ministry. John's place on the biblical stage as a main character ends right here. So again, one year in public ministry, one year 
in prison. And Jesus says John was the greatest. Why would he say that? Let's back up to this text and dig in a little bit. Verse 18, one more time. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Uh, to exhort is, is, is to teach, it's to call, it's to encourage, it's to plead. I mean, you get that picture from John, right? He's proclaiming good news and he wants them to take it. Well, what's the good news? The, the good news is that God really will forgive sin. But John says you, you got to repent. You, you got to turn from your sin and you turn to God and the, the Messiah, he's coming. What we know now, the rest of the story this, this Messiah, this is Jesus, he would, he would die for sin, he would be buried, and on the third day he arose. That is the good news. And I'm reminding you from Luke chapter 1. We learned this very early on. It says of John the Baptist that the Holy Spirit was with him even before he's born. That, that, was, that was odd in that day. Holy Spirit hasn't arrived yet, right? Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. Pentecost hasn't happened. We, we would see it like the Old Testament prophets uh, in the Old Testament where here or there, God's Spirit would be with someone. Well, we're told that, that even from the womb, the, the presence of God was with John to empower him for this mission, a mission of proclaiming the good news, the Messiah is here. Sometimes in church, we use the word gospel. It means this proclaiming of good news. And that's why the way I will sum up verse 18 of why would Jesus say that John is the greatest, it is this way. John lives a gospel life. John lives a gospel life. His life is about proclaiming this good news of Jesus. Now, here's what I want to remind you before we go any further. If you, too, have turned to God, if you, too, have turned from sin to God through faith in Jesus, not because we earned it, but because of his grace, the scripture says you are forgiven, you are embraced into God's family, his spirit indwells you why you are also empowered for this mission of proclaiming good news you are empowered for a gospel life now i'm using that term today because i want i want us to think through gospel life is not talking about a person who who simply may be able to tell someone else the facts of how they can be right and belong to God. Now, you, I want you to know that. He wants you to know that. He wants you to know the good news and to be able to communicate it, that Jesus died for sins. He was buried, third day arose. That's good news. He wants you to know it and to be able to say it. He wants you to be able to communicate that salvation, it's by grace through faith in Jesus. That's good news. 
But when I use the term gospel life here, I'm talking about the way John walks this out. It is to live life for this purpose. That's more than just knowing how to communicate it. No, I'm talking about living your life for this purpose of pointing people to the good news of Jesus. I'm saying it's everything you do, every decision you make, every relationship that you engage, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, where you work, where you study, even where you play. It is to leverage all of your life for this great purpose that my words and my actions might declare the good news of who Jesus is. And I'm reminding you today, you are empowered by the Spirit of God to live such a life. Question Do you pray daily? for the advancement of the good news of Jesus? Do you pray daily for the advancement of the good news of Jesus? If you don't know, then I would encourage you to somehow be intentional in making that a part of how you begin every day that God gives you breath. Because, man, if I'm not intentional in that, you know what I get really good at? I get really good about praying for the advancement of me. I get really good at praying for circumstances that I think are going to be difficult, and I want to I come out in the right spot on those circumstances, and I want to know how to figure out this and not to look like I don't know what I'm doing here. And if I'm not careful, I start praying for the advancement of me. I want to encourage you to be intentional about praying daily for the advancement of the good news of Jesus. There's one characteristic I see. It's required of NFL coaches. It is literally that they have to to eat, sleep, and breathe football. It consumes their life. I'm telling you today, there is something greater to consume your life. There is something greater to eat, sleep, and breathe. It is a gospel life to which you are empowered. Now listen to me, you don't have to quit your job to do it. (laughs) You, You don't have to quit the team to do it. You don't have to quit your hobby to do this. The question that you need to raise is, how does the way I operate on this job, on this team, in this hobby, how can this be to point people to the good news of Jesus? Because in all those those circumstances, it's about people. People need Jesus, and the greatest thing that you will ever give them is the great news of how much God loves them and what he has done for them through Jesus to make life possible. May your life represent the grace of the good news. And then make sure you take every opportunity to verbally connect the dots for people that they know it's Jesus, it's not you. Well, let's build on that. When Luke summarizes John's life, he starts with this gospel life, but there's more. 
Because if you're going to do that, you need to know this. Verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, we'll talk about him in just a second, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done. Now, that's not a full statement, but we're going to stop there because it, it, it contains something powerful for us to get. Now, let me give you a little history. Um, Josephus was a first-century historian. We often study Josephus' writings because he writes about some of the historical events that took place about that same time. Josephus gives us a little more to this story. It goes like this. The Herod here is Herod Antipas, which is actually the son of Herod the Great. When people think about the birth of Jesus, they think about Herod the Great. This is his son. This is Herod Antipas. At that point, he is what's called a tetrarch. That's a weird name. A a tetrarch means ruler of a quarter. Now, not a quarter, but the way Rome would do it is they, they would take a province or they would take a country and they would divide it into four. And they would put a ruler over each of those four sections. Herod Antipas is a ruler of one of those sections. He marries the daughter of an Arabian king. But then he travels to Rome where he stays with his half-brother, Philip, who is married to Herodias. And you can probably figure out how the rest of the story goes. Antipas wants her. She consents to leave Philip and go with Antipas. Antipas divorces his current wife, and Herodias takes her place. And everybody knows it. He's, he's a tetrarch. Everybody knows the situation. Everybody knows what's happened here. But nobody's going to speak into this except John. And John says, no. No. What you are doing is wrong. What you're doing, what you're doing is, 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 is pushing your heart away from the heart of God. Well, the story is that Herod Antipas fears John's popularity with the crowds, where this might lead to and disturbances. And so he apprehends and he imprisons John at a place called Machiris, which is on the, the eastern side of the Dead Sea. Uh, Herod had a, a city there and a fortress there, and that's where John is put in prison. Now, come on. I mean, John, don't you know, man, what's going to happen here when you deal with a powerful person like Herod? And I think the answer to that is we know that John does know. He does know because that is the pattern that we have been reading in this chapter 3. 
Because we're told that in John's public ministry, he's telling people, man, you got to turn to God, right? There's an ax at the, at the root of this tree. Man, there is, a, there is a judgment for those who do not turn their hearts toward him. I mean, he is bold in his speaking, and we are told that people start coming to him saying, John, what do we do? So the crowds come to him, and they're like, John, what do we do? And here's what he tells them. Anyone who has two shirts should share one with those who have none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Can I tell you my experience? If you want to thin the crowd, start talking to them about how they have too much. <laughs> you want to thin the crowd, start talking to people about their possessions. John's not backing down. Then it says that tax collectors show up. Now, tax collectors were powerful people in that day, right? They were often Jews, but they worked for, for Rome. They collected taxes for Rome, but they were allowed to whatever they could get for themselves. They just added it onto the bill, and you had to pay it. The tax collectors say, what should I do? And here's what John says, don't collect any more than you are required to. That could come back to bite him at tax time. And then it says even soldiers show up. That's wild to me. Like these are the dudes with swords. And they say, what do we do? And here's what John says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. It seems like to me that Luke is incredibly specific when he tells us about the people who come to John, that we recognize John dealt regularly with people who might use their power for selfishness. Just like Herod. Or maybe John's just a rebel. You know what I'm saying? I mean, is John just one of those guys that whatever the authority is, he's just going to push back? And I would say, no, John does know who the authority is. And since his birth, he has been committed to following that authority. In John's life, the authority is God. He loves God and he knows the power of God's presence in his life. He's known it from birth and he wants everybody to know that love, and he wants everybody to know that presence. This is the way I describe John. John would be the guy who says, I don't have time to think about what you care about me because of how much I care about you. That's John. I don't have time to think about what you care about me because of how much I care about you. And so this is the second statement that I would make about John's life. It is a personal love. It is a personal love. The reason I say that is because Romans tells us that, that the love of God is poured out into our life by the Holy Spirit. Well, John is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He speaks the message of God, but the message, his motive is love. His motive's love. And I'm reminding you that sometimes love brings pain because sometimes love is uncomfortable I want you to think about love and truth and the fact that love without truth 
condones. You get that? If we just claim to love people, but we don't ever stand with the truth, which for us we're saying God is the one who declares what is right, what is wrong. If, if we just claim to love people, but we never take a stand on the truth, we, we are simply closing our eyes and just condoning what takes place. And we, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bring life. It is also true that truth without love condemns. Right? You've probably met some of those people in their life. They know the truth of God and they don't mind telling you the truth of God, right? They're almost the, the righteousness enforcement officers, right? And everybody, everybody hides from them when they come around because they're so glad to point out you're wrong. They're, they're so, and they just blast you with the truth. That, that's, not, that's not the picture of who we see Jesus to be. But the truth is that love with truth transforms. And the reason it does is because of the power of the Holy Spirit who was working through John and he's working through many of you. I, I want to send some encouragement for a few minutes to our student leaders. For those of you who work with our middle school and our high school students, um, in both middle school and high school, they are beginning this week a new study. It's a new study on relationships and sexual integrity and just really what all that means as a Jesus follower. But here's the fact. Our students today are surrounded by so much information from the culture and very, very little of that information is the truth of God. Our students are now encouraged to choose from just about every letter in the alphabet in attempting to figure out their identity. The list just gets longer and longer. The easiest thing for student leaders to do is to ignore it. Knowing that Man, if you, if you approach this, it's such an emotional topic that for some, it, it, there's the risk of hurting. And so to just ignore it and call that love. But what we know is that's not love. At the same time, what leaders cannot do is, is just blast them with the truth. <laughs> Without a love, you, you can't, there can't just be a, hey, we told you the truth, take it or leave. That's not the picture either. The aim is truth with love. And we are not to sacrifice either one. And so I'm reminding you today, that would cost John dearly, like his life. For most of us, it can cost usually a relationship. But I'm reminding you today, there's not another way. There's not another avenue. It is truth with love. Man, if I speak into this situation, it may cost me. But honestly, knowing that I love, I, I don't have time to think about what you care about me because of how much I care about you. 
If you don't turn to God away from sin, there is eternal consequence. Which leads us to the last factor that Luke gives us in this summary. Check out verse 20. Herod added to this. Now what was this? This was all the other evil things. John confronts him about Herodias. And then John, and then he, he says he confronted all the other evil things. So Herod added to this, this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And it would be there at Machiris, that city and fortress on the east side of the Dead Sea. It would be there that Herodias' daughter would dance for Herod Antipas. And the story is that Herod Antipas made the bold statement, he promised her anything that you want. And her request was the head of John the Baptist. And it was delivered. It was delivered. And thus, the final trait of the greatness of John's life is what I call an eternal legacy. <laughs> and this is the point where you're like, wait, 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 wait. One year of public ministry <laughs> and another year in prison and you lose your head and Jeff, you're talking legacy? No, I'm not talking legacy. I'm talking eternal legacy. Now, this is a huge topic, and so today all I'm, all I'm trying to do is, is to unload a few ideas to help you think about, help you start to walk down this, this road. Here, here's where I'm convinced you gotta, you got to start. You've got to answer the question, are you going to serve you or God? That's your, that's your question. Are you going to serve you or God? Because until you answer that question, we're just, we're just playing. We're just playing. Are you going to serve you or are you going to serve God? And then if your answer is my life is to serve God, then I want to encourage you to do something practical like start your week each week simply asking the question, what's one or two things that God cares about? Like, well, what's one or two things? Maybe it's, you know, you're looking at all the stuff that's going on around you. It's stuff in your family and stuff in your work and stuff in your culture. And you're, what, what's one or two things that God really cares about? And I encourage you, write down those things and then begin to pray that God will help you act on those things this week. This week. Because you do know. That time is short. Now, here's what I want you to see. You, in a sense, have an opportunity to shape your legacy. You do. I, I would encourage you to ask this question. What story do I want to tell? And I'm saying I believe you have an incredible opportunity to be a part of shaping your legacy. What story do I want to tell? And, and here's the way I'd frame it. When whatever you're going through is over, so you're going through a struggle, you're, you're going through some tension. When whatever you're going through is over and it's nothing 
but a story to tell. It's in the rearview mirror. What do you want that story to be? And in doing so, in a way, you are able to determine your legacy one decision at a time. You find yourself in a situation where you feel justified to hurt somebody. The reason you feel justified to hurt somebody is because they hurt you or you're watching them hurt somebody else. And so you feel justified maybe to to criticize somebody because you see the action in, in their life. The point here is to stop and to ask the question, what story do I want? Nope, go back to the first one. What story, don't show them the second one yet. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? We all typically want to be the hero of the story. And if you read scripture, the hero is always the one who forgives. And he's always the one who goes the second mile. And he's always the one who gives more than he takes. Suddenly, when you think about it that way, there are options that you never knew you had. But underneath this question, there is a second question. What story does God want to tell? What story does God want to tell? And I'm reminding you that you don't always know. You, you, you do always know how you should respond to any given circumstance. You do, because you got Jesus as the model. But you don't always know the story that God is going to ultimately write. I'm asking you, did you think this is how John's story would end, really? Like, if you'd never read it before, this, this guy who's... His birth is miraculous. His parents are too old. God's got to get involved to make a miracle happen here. Angels announce the birth. That's a pretty big deal, right? He's filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He's the one who announces the Messiah's arrival. But then he spends one year in public ministry, one year in prison, and then loses his head to the evil leader that he had the courage to speak against. Is that really how you thought it would end? I'm saying by the world's standards, John's life really could look obscure. It could look somewhat isolated. I'm saying maybe even unsuccessful. But in God's kingdom, he was eminently successful. And Jesus said he was the greatest. Why? Because John accomplished exactly what God wanted him to accomplish. Listen to me, it had nothing to do with years. It wasn't measured in years. It didn't even have anything to do with how people responded. Most of them didn't. It had everything to do simply with John saying, I got nothing to lose when I follow Jesus. I'm all in. My life is his. I will obey what he calls me to do. And Jesus said, that's the greatest. That's the greatest. So here's greatness. 
One, two, three, gospel life, personal love, eternal legacy. And now the questions are for you. I want to encourage you to answer a few questions that I'm going to ask you. Because, y'all, we got to do something with this. Like the last thing we want to do is show up here today and get some information and walk out of here. So I want to encourage you to jot down a few answers. If you're not already taking notes, I'm, I'm the preacher that gives you permission. Please pull out your phone. Pull out your phone. Get your notes. Just, I, I, I just want you to jot a couple of things down that I'm going to ask you. Just a side note, you're seven times more likely to remember something if you write it down and go back and read it within 24 hours of when you wrote it down. And if this stuff is true, oh my goodness, what would we more want to write down? Here's the first question. Who have you been meaning to connect with or maybe reconnect with, but you've just been putting it off? You know what I mean? That person, there's a person in your life. If, if you're a Jesus follower, I'm telling you today, there is a reason when God puts people on your heart and mind. He's intentional. Who is that person that you've been meaning to connect with or reconnect with, and maybe you just, you've been putting it off. Maybe, maybe you call it busy. Uh, maybe it's because there's always later. Is there always later? Or have we learned nothing from this year that we just walked through? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news of Jesus, for the sake of the news that Jesus died, was buried, and rose, and that all who turn to him in faith live, for the sake of the gospel, try. Try to connect. Try to reconnect with that person. I'm, I'm challenging you today to write down their name. Come on, you know who it is. God's put somebody on your heart, somebody you're supposed to be talking to. Write it down. And for the sake of the gospel, try. Second question, what situation have you known that you should be speaking into with truth and love? Here's what I mean. You are watching it go down. You are watching that family member. You are watching that friend. You are watching that acquaintance, whatever it is. But somebody's in your life, and they are making decisions that you know very well are marching them directly away from the heart of God. They are choosing to rebel against him, and you know it. You know it. For the sake of the gospel, (laughs) try. Try. Are they going to listen to you? I don't know. I don't know. Are they going to get mad at you? I don't know. But for the sake of the gospel, try. It is what our God calls us to in love. Third question. What have you been so focused on that is not going to last one second past this life? And instead, what what should your life begin to be leveraged for that leads to an eternal legacy? For the sake 
of the gospel, some of you need to begin to fight for your marriage. For the sake of the good news of Jesus who transforms dead things back to life, fight for your marriage. Some of you need to fight for your kids. Don't stop fighting for your kids. I realize they may be running in the opposite direction, but look, don't, don't just ignore it. Don't just, don't just believe somehow that. No, fight for your kids. Fight for those things that you know are attached to the heart of God, his love for people, his power to transform. For the sake of the gospel, try. And don't stop. I encourage you to write something down today. And then tonight, before you go to sleep, pray it. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, pray it. Because God has empowered you to walk this out just like John. Now. I'm going to ask God to help you. And then we're going to sing a song. But I'm warning you. This song is, Lord, whatever your will. Man, don't you lie to him. (laughs) Don't mess with him. If you need a want to, hey, ask him for a want to. God, I thank you for what you've shown us today. I thank you for the truth about your spirit that empowers and transforms lives. And God, I thank you that we don't have to just read about a guy that lived a long time ago, but we can realize that today your same spirit, God, empowers the hearts of your people. And even though it's difficult at times, the power of your love transforms. So God, today, the names that we have written down, the situations that we have been honest enough to list, God, may you give us a want to and a courage that whatever your will, that's our heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray it. Amen.